And we've paused for a moment to consider this uh, particular aspect of the Christian life we call peace. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. And we want to consider that again tonight. We began that study a couple of weeks ago whenever we began to see verse number 6 because that's where it all starts at. So in our reading here this evening, let's read these two verses together. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now you have to forgive me tonight, this cedar's kind of getting me, but we're going to work through it. Philippians 4, 7 tells us that we that are saved, that are of the redeemed, can have the peace of God. But it only comes at whenever we surrender and submit ourselves to the will of God. And the will of God for us as Christians is to take our problems to God in prayer. We looked at that last week. That's why we have a time. That's why we pray as Christians. Instead of worrying, we pray, right? We looked at that. That's what we ought to do. Uh, we ought to be taking our request and be made known unto God with prayers, thanksgivings, and supplications, and so forth. And when we do that, there's something that is afforded to us, and that is called the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Seeing that this subject, peace, is a very deep subject in the Word of God because it's mentioned exactly 450 times in your Bible. It's in 26 out of 27 of the New Testament books. Only 1 John does not use it. But it is translated different ways like uh, to be quiet or to keep your peace. Um, uh, that is one way it is translated, so we know that it's not the peace we're talking about here in this passage. Hold your peace or be dumb. It's not what he's saying here. Nor is he talking about having peace with one another, like being a peacemaker or being peaceable. Um, that's also mentioned in the Word of God. Nor is he mentioning, nor is he talking about in this particular passage something that we dealt with quite in depth last week, and I don't have the time to do it tonight again, but that we need to have. In order to have the peace of God, what do we say? You have to have what? Peace what? With God. God. Remember that. In order to have the peace of God, you must have peace with God. Peace with God is the best way that I know how to explain it. It really falls short of what it really is, is the idea of a peace treaty. And that peace treaty, we said, was signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we looked at several passages that explain that. I believe Colossians 1.20 is a great one for it. No doubt Romans 5.1 is the most famous uh, for that uh, particular aspect. That uh, having peace with God, he says, being justified by faith. Um, that's how we've been mad to have peace with God. We are in enmity with God, but no longer. Amen? Uh, that we're saved. We're no longer enemies of God, but what does God call us? He says, I have not... Uh, I've called you what? Friends. 
Praise God. And Abraham was known as the friend of God. And Abraham's descendants are also known as the friend of God. And we are Abraham's descendants that have trusted God in faith, believing that Jesus Christ died from the cross for our sins, was buried and was in the tomb for three days, and three days later he rose again from the dead. We've trusted that and we've taken that message called the gospel as our saving faith. Our saving faith. We believe that. We trust in that wholeheartedly. We don't say, somebody is not a Christian that says, well, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day, but there could be other ways. That person is not a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and say that. Christ is exclusive, is he not? He said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the message that we believe and that's the message that we accept. That's the message that we've trusted in to save our eternal souls from an eternal hell and make us live in an eternal heaven with an eternal God. And praise God we'll have eternal peace and eternal love and joy. We also seen that this church did have a lot to be worried about. I won't go over all the things. There were seven of them, but there was a lot of things that this church had to be worried about, so they needed to be reminded, just like we do, that we don't need to be anxious, that we don't need to be worried in life, but rather we can have peace with God, peace of God in our hearts. So I think it would be important for us that we ask a couple of questions. And the first question that I want to bring to the forefront of your mind is this. Whenever it says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's interesting to me that this particular aspect of the Christian journey and the Christian life, this aspect of peace, is able to do something very profound in our lives. It's able to keep us, uh, keep our minds, hold our minds, guard our minds. So the question I ask, first of all, is this, is the peace of God, is it something that's uh, of substance, uh, or is it something that's more or less spiritual? And the, when it's studying this out, it seems that it's a little bit of both. It's giving the quality of being something that is actually uh, substantial, something that is tangible in a way. For the Bible says in uh, Numbers chapter 6 and verse number 26 that peace is something that God gives to us. It's something that God gives to us. Uh, he says, the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. So God can give it to us. He has access to peace and he has the ability to be able to grant peace uh, to those who are the children of God. John chapter 14 and verse number 27. Jesus, again, Rehashing that same exact thing that he had said in Numbers says this, My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So in case we were wondering if it could be given to us, then it needn't be looked no further than John 14, 27, right? My peace I give unto you. He says, peace I give, I leave with you. I'm sorry, my peace I give unto you. And it's also to be noted that only God can give this peace. Only God can give this peace that we're talking about in the Word of God here tonight. 
We define peace in a lot of different ways. The world defines peace most of the time as this. Most of the time the world would define peace as a lack of trouble. An absence of trouble in my life. If I have an absence of trouble, then I'm having a peaceful life. But the exact opposite is true for the believer. For a believer, peace is having peace in the midst of trouble. Having a calm rest and assurance in the midst of a trial. That is the definition really of what we have. Resting in the storm, if you will. There's no greater example of peace in the Word of God than uh, probably one of the worst examples of peace and the best example of peace both come on an ocean. One, a guy named Jonah, right? No peace. With no peace of God. Thrown in the belly of, thrown out into the ocean, swallowed by a whale in the midst of that belly of that whale for three days and three nights. And I love how the Bible is so descriptive for us. It says on the third day it vomited him out, all right? Uh, he got to walk around in whale vomit for, uh, you know, for a few days. That felt great, didn't it? So, terrible example, all right? He had no peace, all right? But one of the best examples of peace is what? Jesus Christ on a boat and a storm is going on. And where's Jesus at? He's asleep. He's asleep. You say Jonah was asleep too. Yeah, he was. But when he got woke up, he didn't calm the storm and was suddenly rescued. No, he calmed the storm with his body and was swallowed by a whale. So it's very interesting. These two right here. Jesus knew exactly what was happening. He said to the storm, he said to the winds and the waves. They said the winds and the waves obey him. What did he even say to the storm? What is the words? Peace, be still. Peace, be still. So Jesus knew of peace and he had peace and he was able to, so he's able to give peace. The Bible teaches us that in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 that now the Lord of peace himself, I love that reflexive right there, himself. It's, it's now the Lord of peace himself. Give you peace always by all means. We're not really used to that in our English language. We don't really talk like that a lot. But that's very common in the, in the, in the Greek language to have this um, middle use of the word where it says himself. The Lord himself. It's a, it, is a, it is something to emphasize here. That it is only God that is doing this. Another very famous place of this, it's actually in the Hebrew, but it's, in, it's in, our, in our King James Bible, where it says that when Abraham was going up to the mountain to offer up Isaac, what does the Bible say? It says whenever Isaac says to his father, where is the sacrifice, where is the lamb? And the, Abraham says to his son, the Lord himself shall provide a lamb. That's a, got a double connotation to it, you know. The first connotation is this, is that he was going to provide a lamb. It was going to be stuck in the bushes. But also that himself literally was going to be the lamb. And he is the lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So in this same case here, think about it like that. Now the Lord of, Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. 
So peace is something that can be given if you're taking notes. Peace is something that is a, a, a way, it's a path, it's a road, if you will. Zechariah, uh, Zechariah, whenever he sees, uh, whenever he is released of his dumbness, he no longer is uh, able, he's no longer dumb, he can speak. He gives glory to God and he speaks of Christ in this way when he says, he says that Christ will give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, into the way of peace. So you can, when you're walking with God, you can have peace. Your life, your steps can be steps of peace. It should also be considered that the wicked have no peace. Whereas with the righteous, Zechariah plays that their feet would be guided into peace, in the way of peace. But Paul in Romans, quoting from the Old Testament, writes, And the way of peace they have not known. So the wicked do not have peace. Isaiah rehashes that also and says, There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. None. So if you've got an unsaved loved one or friend or family member and they talk about peace, just always know, Then you might not be able to convince them of this, but, but in your mind you should know that they don't have the peace of God. There's no way for them. God says they can't. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Thirdly, we should, be, we should realize this, is that is peace substance, substance or is it spiritual? Well, it's also the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's something that actually manifests in our lives. People can see somebody that has a peaceful look on their face, can somebody think of somebody's face that was peaceful in the New Testament, in the book of Acts? Stephen. Stephen, yeah. Stephen had a peaceful look. Now, the Bible doesn't say he had a peaceful look, but he had the face of an angel. He was looking up towards heaven. He had no, he had no worry what was about to happen to him. He had a peaceful look about him, and people could see that it was noted about him, that something was different about him. I've seen that on Christians' people. I've seen that on Christians that I've seen two types of believers going into surgeries. Some are worried and anxiety is overwhelming them, you know, and others are at peace with whatever God has for their life. Uh, it's a fruit. It's something that's manifested in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. I mentioned this last week, but James says that it's something that can be multiplied. Or excuse me, Peter says that it can be something that's multiplied. The God of grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And James says that it's like a seed that is sown. He says in James chapter 3, 18, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make Peace. So all that just to say that I can conclude that both it is both it has substance to it, it can be seen, but it is also spiritual because it is the fruit of the what? 
Spirit. It is something that works in us through the Spirit of God. And those that have Christ or have been saved have the Spirit of God. And if you've got the Spirit of God in you, then God can let peace be manifested in you. But if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not going to have the what? Peace of God. Because you've never made peace what? With God. All right, man, you're catching on, man. This is great. All right. Awesome. This is awesome. So you got to have the peace with God, then you have the peace of God. Unsaved people do not have this. But the next thing that comes into my mind is this. So we've looked at this and we've said, okay, peace of God. How does it work out? What is it? Well, we see kind of what it is here. It's this thing that is both has substance and both is spiritual. But look here. He says something very noteworthy. He says, in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. All right? Now I had that question. So does that mean it's unexplainable? That the knowledge of it is unattainable? And I think the simple answer to that is no. I don't believe that the peace of God is so abstract and intangible that we cannot understand what it is. Because I think the, really what the, what, it, what the key to it all is what it boils down to is what these couple of words mean. Where he says, which passeth all understanding. These words in the Greek, I believe, really give some color to it and just give it a little bit deeper of a meaning. The words passeth understanding means that, simply means that, that the peace of God exceeds the human intellect. A human mind cannot grasp this abstract thing we call the peace of God. It doesn't make sense to normal people. Outside of our, it goes outside of our, if you will, our mental abilities, our mental capabilities. That is why you cannot explain the peace of God to an unbeliever, it goes outside of their mental realm. Scholars don't like to hear that. You know, professors in college don't like to hear that. Scientists don't like to hear that. Why? Well, because everything's got to be scrutinized and, you know, be able to have labeled. It's got to be seen under a microscope. But the peace of God passes our human mind. It passeth all understanding. It literally, it passes knowledge. But as believers, I believe that we can know and experience such peace because we are in Christ. It's only Christ that we can gain such peace. That's it. Now, I thought it might be helpful here to just clear up I don't know if you're having this confusion, but I was having a little bit of confusion here because one verse that kept popping up in my mind was Matthew 10, 34. Okay, preacher, you're telling me that the only way to have peace is to have it through Christ and to have it through Him, then we have the peace of God. But what about Jesus' statement in Matthew chapter number 10 and verse number 34? What does Jesus say there? Jesus says, think not that I came, I come to send peace on earth. Well, that's very odd because Luke 2.14 tells us that the angels said whenever Christ was born, what? 
peace on earth, right? Isn't Jesus Christ the Prince of Peace? So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to send peace. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So what is Jesus saying here? How is this even possible? Well, Jesus is not referring to believers necessarily here. He's not referring to our peace that we have with God or the peace of God. What he's talking about here is he's speaking about unbelievers and their relationship to believers. Jesus is saying that they're there in his teachings that his teachings will actually separate family members. Even whole families Because the teachings of Jesus Christ are so dogmatic. Either you believe them or you don't. And those that don't believe believe them will hate those that do. Why will they hate those that do? Because they hate God. And you're a representative of God. Because you are following in His footsteps. You are a son or daughter of God. Also, I believe Jesus in that particular statement, whenever he says, I came not to send peace but a sword, is also going and going ahead and combating and going against the, and teaching basically the same thing that Jeremiah was teaching in his day. They have also healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Jesus was rehashing and bringing out what Jeremiah was saying because Jesus did not want to be confused, I believe, as a teacher of promoting a false peace. And we have many false preachers and teachers and prophets in our day to day that are promoting false peace. That are saying, peace, peace. They heal the people of, they heal people slightly. You find that in some churches, not every church, but any church that will not preach on sin, all right, that will not bring out sin, any pastor that will not bring out sin and the specifics of sin, then you know what? They're saying, peace, peace. We don't come to church for a pep talk, you know? Remember the old pep rallies? Do they do pep rallies at school still? They do? Okay. All right. You know, pep rallies, you get you pepped up for the football game, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, that's not what church is, all right? We're not pep rallies, pepping you up for the next football game, all right? But we're here to learn the, the dogmas and the teachings and the doctrines of the Word of God so that we may be better equipped to serve the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And one of those areas is peace. I mean, this book is pretty expansive, is it not? So we've got a lot to cover, right? Jesus didn't want to be lumped into those preachers and teachers that were just saying everything's going to be okay. But he did come to promote a true peace. A peace that I believe that we can and understand, and we can believe, and we can experience as true Christians. I believe it's possible that we know it. We can know it. Not just because I say that we can know it. But because the Bible says we can know it. Take your Bible over to John chapter 14 and verse number 27.
The Bible teaches us that you can know and see exactly and understand what peace looks like for the believer. Because I was always, I just always, when I read that verse, I always thought, well, I, it passes all the understanding, you know. It just means I can't explain it to anybody. But it just means that it passes the human ascent. It passes the human intellect, the human knowledge. It excels it. It goes past it. And what is the very thing that goes past human intellect and human knowledge? This right here. It doesn't, I mean, this goes past it all. This is an amazing book. We've, we have been three weeks into Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Three, you know, I don't preach an hour. Try not to. But, you know, three 40-minute messages, and I've got one more to preach on it. And I'm not even really going to exhaust it. We're just talking about one subject, peace. Really, you know? It really would be good if, if somebody in here would do an exhaustive study of all 450 uses of peace. That would be, be a great study. You could categorize them and put them together, all right? For your doctrinal uh, doctor, uh, dissertation, that's you just, your, your, your thesis, that's what you could do there, Alex, you know? Uh, get that going for us. Get started early, all right? John 14, 27. What is the peace of God? Well, look here. The peace of God is a life of courage and a life without fear. Would you all agree that if you have fear in your heart and your life, you don't have peace? Right? If you have fear, you don't have peace. And I want to show, I don't have, I don't have time to do it tonight, but I do want to show that too, that we're going to see in our, in, our next, in our next message that love and peace are intimately connected together. There is no fear in what? Love. Look at John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be what? Afraid. Why was it not to be afraid? Because of why? Because of love in this case? No, but because of what? The peace of God. The peace of God. God wants to give you a peace like we said in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3. He said, I want to give you a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that is able to give you courage and able to be able to remove fear. So whenever you find yourself fearing something, recognize that the peace of God is not in the place that it needs to be at in your life. The Bible gives us all of these little warnings. It gives us all of these little points for to, to grasp a hold of and to provide for us mental checks and a list of checks and balances for our life. That's what the Bible's doing for us. It's showing to us where we've gone wrong and how to fix it and what to do and how to get it right and what, how to, what is wrong and what is right. Uh, that's what the Bible's doing all over the place. You just got to kind of search for it a little bit. That's why I'd encourage you, never stop reading your Bible. Amen. Never stop reading it. 
one of the greatest helps and influences in my teaching and preaching is reading the Word of God. I'll be just studying, and God will just pull stuff out of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, that's not even a book. Uh, Pull stuff out of Ezekiel or Jonah or or Matthew or Genesis. He'll just just start, because why? Because I've read those things and it's been cataloged in my brain. Your brain's an amazing thing. The more you read, the more you catalog, the more you're putting in there, the more, you're, the more stuff you're processing. You're processing. You say, I'm not really getting much out of the book of Numbers this year. Listen, you're processing a lot more than what you realize you're really processing. I'm not saying you learn by osmosis. You don't sleep with the Bible on your head or anything, you know, under your pillow. But get it in there. It'll come out eventually. All right, so the first thing is this. Why is it something that uh, is something we can understand? Because we all can understand that a life of, that, we, that in order to have, uh, if you have peace, then you don't have fear. If you have fear, you don't have peace. And also go to John chapter 16 and verse number 33. Notice what he says here. This is also our Lord speaking here whenever he says that it produces a life of cheerfulness. Somebody that is depressed is obviously somebody that doesn't have peace. You can't have the two. Depression is closely related to what? Anxiety. All right? What was the, what was the command in Philippians 4, 6? Be what? Careful for what? Nothing. Nothing. All right? So look at John 16, 33. These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise God. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You see, that is the very definition. If there is a, a verse definition of peace, it's, it's, it is right there. John 16, 33. If you want to know what the biblical definition of peace is, Jesus gives it to us right up front. John 16, 33. That's it. The peace of God rule in your hearts. Or excuse me, I missed that. These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace in the world you shall, have good tri- you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. All right? So if you're going to have a life of peace, then you're going to have a life of cheerfulness, even in the midst of trials and difficulties and heartache. Because you have the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's why somebody that maybe has a great loss or is in a great trial... What he means by that is passeth all understanding and an unsaved person or maybe an immature believer comes into the room and that person is able to communicate to that person that, you know what, I still trust in God. I'm broken. My heart is broken. I'm going through a very difficult time. They may be even crying and weeping, but yet there is peace in their heart and peace in their life and a trust for God. That passes all understanding. Does that make sense? The world doesn't get that. How can you be happy? You just had something terrible happen to you. Well, let me tell you what. Something terrible happened about 2,000 years ago. Really, what was that? The Son of God died on Calvary's hill. And he suffered my shame and my sin. 
And I made peace with God through his blood. And ever since then, I've had the peace of God. Would you like to have that peace in your heart? That would be a great way to witness to somebody, wouldn't it? And what a great line. If somebody, how do you have such peace? If anybody ever says to you, I mean, that's like, that's like putting the ball on the T-ball, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's like floating in one underhanded, you know? Just, just this swing. That's an easy one, man. Don't miss that. Don't ever miss that opportunity. Turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 33. It's a life of courage. It's a life of cheerfulness. The Lord gave these to me. I'm not usually good at alliteration, but they all ended up with the letter C somehow. It's a life without confusion. You ever been confused before? Not knowing really where to go or what to do? That's not very peaceful. It's not. Jesus, or the, Paul writes, For God is not the author of, of confusion, but of what? Peace. As in all churches of the saints. So, if we're going to have peace, is peace understandable? Yes, to the Christian it is. It is a life of courage. It is a life of cheerfulness. It is a life without confusion. Then notice over in Colossians chapter 3 in verse number 15. Go over to your right a little bit further. Go past Ephesians and then you'll find the Colossians chapter 3 in verse number 15. And notice what the Bible says here. It is not only a life without confusion, for God is not the author of confusion. Who is the author of confusion? Seven. The devil is. Yeah. And the devil doesn't want to give you peace. There's nothing peaceful about the devil at all. So when you've got confusion in your heart and in your life, you can realize that, that, wait a second, wait a second, what's going on here? I don't have peace. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. He's the author of peace. Are you there in 3.15? Amen. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you are called in one body and be thankful. It is a life of control. A life of control. Notice what he says. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Rule in your hearts. It's somebody that's got a controlled life. It's somebody's, it's somebody's life that's not out of control. All right? If you were on a if you were uh, if you were on a runaway train this evening, there's not a lot of peace in that. All right, <laughs> you know, if your car suddenly lost brakes when you were going down a hill, you know, you're out of control. You know, and there's not a lot of peace and comfort in that situation right there. You know, hard to look over at your passenger and be like, "It's going to be okay. We're going 90 miles per hour right at a semi." You know what I mean? Don't worry, God's got it in control, you know. I mean, things out of control do not usually promote peace, you know. And so your life, when it's out of control, 
You can usually bank on the fact that you're not allowing the peace of God to rule your heart. It's not ruling in your life. But instead, what is ruling? Anxiety, worry. That's what's ruling. That's what's been allowed to take over. Confusion has been allowed to take over. Fear has been allowed to take over. Not the peace of God. And then finally, turn your Bibles over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 23. Very interesting uh, verse here, uh, one that kind of threw me for a loop, I must admit. He says in 5.23, he says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. It is not only a life of courage, it's a life of cheerfulness, a, a, a life of without confusion, a life of control, but it's also a life of consecration. And I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an effect of peace. The peace of God, the very God of peace, will sanctify you wholly, will consecrate you. It will produce a consecrating effect in your heart and your life, dedicating you more to God. It will grow you and separate you more unto his service. Just look at the great heroes of the faith and see how the peace of God began to control their lives and work in their lives. And the more that it did, the more that you see them being effectively used in the work of God. When they allowed God's peace to effectively work in their hearts and lives. Paul, I think, is one of the greatest examples of that. Trial after trial after trial after trial after trial after trial. But every single trial that he went through and every single test that he passed, then what was God doing? God was just further solidifying his use and his ministry opportunities along the way. Consecrate you, sanctify you, holy. But not only that, It not only consecrates us to service, but look at this. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's also speaking to our bodies, our lives. Our lives will be sanctified. Our lives will be consecrated to Him, our whole entire body. This is the call. These are the effects of peace. The cause is Christ. Christ has begun this. Christ started this when he saved us. And he wants to continue to multiply peace in our life. So peace of God is real. It produces real results. It's not just spiritual language, I guess is what I'm trying to get at here too this evening. We're not just, you know, talking about heavenly language. Saying peace and love and joy and all these kinds of things. No. No, it's real. For the believer. For the unbeliever, it's impossible to have. The unbeliever cannot have the peace of God. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. They have not known the way of peace. But if you're saved tonight, you have. You have. When I got saved... I've, I say this too, and it's, uh, 
I don't, I don't, I only bring this out to maybe help you a little bit, not to say that it will happen to you also, or that if you don't have this happen to you, you're not saved. But I do remember when I got saved, when I trusted Christ, and after I went back to my room and I laid down, I remember, I do remember just the peace of God coming over my heart and my life. And I knew I was saved. I knew it. And and I'll never forget that. That was definitely an experience. But you know what? God is real. Okay? And we can experience God. See, that was a feeling and all this kinds of stuff. You can say what you want to. But God used that in my life to solidify my salvation with Him. It was the peace of God. I had peace with God because I was saved now. But now I had the peace of God. And I've experienced that at other times, in situations. And maybe you have too. I'm not saying you're going to. I just bring that out to say that the peace of God is something that's real. It's not something made up. It's not some little fairy tale. It's not something that is just, you know, preachers say to try to help you feel better whenever you're in the hospital, okay? No, it is real, and we can really know it. It passes the human intellect, but praise God, it does not pass the Spirit because it's the Spirit of God that gives peace to our hearts and to our lives. It's manifested in those ways. Life of courage. Life without confusion. A life of cheerfulness. A life that's in control. A life that's consecrated to Christ. And I hope that God will help us to have the peace of God. May we be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making our, let our requests be made known to the God and, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we're thankful for the peace of God. We pray that, Lord, we will know it. We pray that, Father, we will seek it. We pray that, Lord, it will be multiplied in our lives and hearts through your Son, Jesus And Lord, we pray that, Father, that, Lord, as he promised, that he would give us peace and that he would leave us peace. May God, we...